previously on the Beam Chronicles. Oh, hey, actually, here, there is one name in evals you should learn. Maria Carraway. I, uh, kind of like to hear the report summaries in your voice. I see. You slacker. A desperate psychopath or serving a penance? Penance. Big one. Howie recently put her in evals indefinitely. I was his favorite for a while. Before the Dr. K bust, I was the golden girl. He told me all kinds of stuff. Go save the fly, Teak. We'll work on my stuff later. I have other methods for keeping you in check. Methods I'd prefer not to share with you, however. They are the sort of thing that your knowledge thereof will limit the effectiveness. We're a bolt of lightning and a power outage away from a massive breakout in the dungeons. Papa Kavorsky would be the least of our problems if that happened. Big Purple's still down there. I could kill Big Purple. These are the Beam Chronicles, with your host, MJ Dooney. Book 1, Initiation, Chapter 9, Charlie Shade. last day of JT's punishment for being overly sassy and quite frankly I couldn't wait to get him back. Seriously, I was actually excited about bringing him on our next bust. Something had clicked for him during those two months and I'm not entirely sure what it was. He was getting pretty good in skirmishes, exercising harder, and strangest of all, asking fewer fucking ethical questions. Maybe he just truly learned his lesson about second-guessing Howie. Evals was a scary place, loads of time for quiet reflection between near-death misses, and something had obviously put the fear of God in him. I think on some level he'd come to grips with how toothless and trapped he was. I could sense there was something he wasn't telling me, some watershed moment or earth-shattering revelation he opted to keep bottled up. Unfortunately, I could only sick so much, and my seventh mind-reading sense hadn't developed. Spoiler alert, it never does. That was a joke. But then he seemed cheerier, you know? Like, resoundingly not as if his inflated, determined ideals had finally been crushed. If I had to place a bet, it was the caraway factor. I knew they'd hit it off, but it was kind of ridiculous. Even now I could six them sitting in the dungeons, working on paperwork their last day together, huddled all close, either one too awkward or sweet to put a move on the other, like middle school wallflowers at the homecoming dance. Whatever, man, I was glad for it. Something to keep his mind occupied, something to distract him from himself and from disrespecting people who could and would kill him, was exactly what he needed. And hell, Maria too. Look, I was far from one of those people who shipped her coworkers and set them up in my brain or whatever, but I couldn't say I was rooting against these two crazy kids. I thought for some reason it would be funny to group down there and interrupt their intimate farewell. Sort of like an intentionally obnoxious little sister to Caraway and an overprotective older sister to JT. Besides, if I knew both of them half as well as I thought I did, this goodbye was a recipe for melodrama and mushiness. Somewhere deep in the core of my being, I had a drive to destroy those things. Gah! I let out a scream as I grouped into the dungeon. Big Purple had his eyes open. I forgot sometimes he did that. Charlie, how are you? 
Maria jumped to her feet with a level of excitement that would make me cringe due to phoniness if it had come from anyone else. She wrapped her arms around my neck and I shot Jackson a gag, to which he just shook his head in empathy. Why do you always sit in front of him? I asked, pointing to Big Purple when she finally let me out of the deathlock. I feel like he's watching us, it's creepy as hell. Oh, I hardly notice him, honestly. It's just so peaceful down here in the dungeons. I get so much more done. I couldn't imagine anyone not noticing a behemoth like Big Purple. I mean, he was plenty tall, pushing seven feet, I'd say. Considering the monsters I'd fought in the past, though, hell, considering his brothers in Kavorsky's lab, he was far from the biggest. But for some reason, he seemed enormous. Probably the looming density, the sheer bulk, and the mostly terrifying appearance. Scaly, lavender skin, the shit of nightmares. The whites of his eyes were pink, the iris was goldenrod yellow, and his pupil was an elongated slit like a snake or a cat. And he had these weird, metallic-looking cuff things on his forearms that nobody had any ideas about. Save for the good Doc himself, Big Purple was the last living relic of the Dr. K-Bust, and the only reason we had kept him was we weren't sure how to get him out of the big glass pill-shaped apparatus full of some bubbly ooze that we'd found him in. But this K-Pod kept him where he was, suspended, motionless, in jeans and a white tank top, and as the motto went, contain if you can contain. In this case, I think it was more a matter of being too scared to try busting the glass. He was just chilling in there. If it ain't broke, for the love of God, don't break it and release the wrath of the long-sleeping purple titan. See, Kavorsky had hordes of genetically modified gremlin subhumans on hand to defend their master during the bust. But for as terrifying and powerful as they were, every one of them recoiled in fear when Kavorsky went to unleash Big Purple. I knew I could take him. But Murph got to Kavorsky before anyone had to worry about it. Since that day, Purple sat down here. In some ways, I wished we'd just bust him loose and let me handle it before he got out on his own accord. Same time, I knew Dr. K was a brilliant, gifted biological engineer. I'd fought all of his other symphonies. And if we could keep his magnum opus floating in a jar, I was kind of okay with that. Maria, you have got to be El Lobo not to notice him, I said. Y you meant El Loco, right? No, we say El Lobo for crazy now. That doesn't mean crazy. It, it means wolf. Caraway explained, even though she knew damn well where it came from. Yeah, but, you know. Jackson told me about Mathis's psychotic little rebranding attempt. Jackson told me pretty much everything about his time in evaluations, but this story was the most fascinating to me, purely from an armchair psychiatrist intrigued by what I couldn't explain perspective. The man Jackson knew as El Lobo was not always known as such. Mike Mathis was his real name, the name I knew him by. Actually, he used to go by Madman when he was an equalizer, which at least made sense because he was fucking nuts. It was only upon his demotion to evaluations that he took up this ridiculous El Lobo mantle, Maybe because he thought it was a good chance to try something new, but more likely because, again, he was fucking nuts. It was easily conceivable that in Mathis's fucked sideways brain, he thought a new job made him into a new person entirely. Jackson just thought he was funny, but I was making fun of him. Given their history, the whole story of why she and Mathis were in evals in the first place, this did not rub Maria the right way. I was not keen on remembering that story either. She frowned at Jackson, disapproving of him inadvertently providing ammunition to my relentlessly antagonistic sense of humor. I mercifully saved him from her disappointment, redirecting the conversation back to Big Purple. 
I just don't like him. Look at his creepy eyes, man. I feel like he's watching us. I bet he's plotting to kill us right now. Charlie, when are you going to let me take you out for that drink I owe you? Caraway changed the subject again. It seemed like we were incapable of staying focused on one, but since we kept circling the toilet of the Dr. K bus, that kind of made sense. Well, probably never. Why not? Because I don't drink. So? We don't have to drink. We can do other stuff. Yeah, I'm not super into doing stuff either. Then let me buy you a steak or something. I don't eat red meat, caraway. Cigar? Tank of gas? Cake? <sighs> don't smoke, don't drive, and no refined sugar. Jesus, Charlie, you're 19 years old. Don't you have any vices? I mean, murder. <laughs> but there has to be something I can do for you. Don't you, like, need a cat sitter or ride to the airport or something? I haven't had a vacation since I started here, and even if I did, I can group cross continent in under a second. Maria, it doesn't matter anyway. It does to me. No, because even if I let you do something, you just keep trying to do more and more things to show your gratitude, so I'm just gonna cut you off before it starts. Seriously, would you ever call us even? <laughs> I guess you're right. I still feel like I should do something. No, no, you're fine. I feel the appreciation without a symbolic gesture. I hate that kind of shit anyway. SJT, the only present I've ever gotten him was a rock. Well, yeah, but to be fair, it was a boner rock. Caraway shook her head. Not even gonna ask. I'll just assume it's one of those teak and shade things and leave it at that. Huh. Teak and shade things are a thing? I didn't even know we had things. Having successfully fulfilled my pseudo-sibling duty, I was just about to make some excuse to group back to my apartment and let them be. But before I got the chance to bolt, Caraway got a call from the field. Apparently Mike Mathis, aka El Lobo, fucking dumb, had been hit by a bus earlier that day, and Maria thought it was her responsibility to visit him in the hospital, even though he was apparently already surrounded by the rest of Squad 2. She left in a rush, barely grunted a half-assed goodbye to me, but she lingered just overtly enough to sail over Jackson's fat, oblivious head, beaming fondly at him with a fingery little wave that was frankly a thousand times more perverted for me to witness than if she just started boning him. After she disappeared behind the elevator doors, leaving JT and I to ourselves, plus Big Purple, I turned to face him. My bad, man. Huh? I was just trying to pop in and be annoying. I swear I was just about to leave, but kind of wrecked your chances. My chances at what? Uh, Caraway? The sexual tension in here is dense, buddy. His face went red in an instant. Nah, she's older than me. I, I don't think she's into me like that. Jackson. What? She is. You think so? Definitely. Very obviously. I've never seen a person who wanted to do another person as badly as she wants to do you. Charlie, come on, don't be gross about it. And she's not like 40, by the way. She's 22, JT. What's the rule? Divide by two, add seven, you're right in her cradle-robbing range, baby. Yeah, I don't know, Charlie. No, I, I do know. I was just being polite. That's the rule. No, I know that's the rule. I, I meant more like, I don't know in a broad sense, metaphysically. Okay, what's not to know metaphysically, you fucking dweeb? She's hot, way above your weight class. Yes, that is actually part of it. But she's profoundly non-superficial, and you guys seem to get along famously. The only downside will be how disgustingly saccharine you two will be when you get together. 
Come on, shake off this no confidence thing. It's annoying. You're a good looking guy getting buff into shape. What's the worst that could happen? She says no, and in that case, fuck her. Her loss. Besides, she's an eval. She'll die soon anyway. He ignored my crass attempt at gallows humor. Do you know the story about why she got sent to evils? Um, yes, Dr. K-Bust. And this should have been sufficient, but he kept watching me for some additional details. Why did he always bring this up? JT, this has to be the 30th time I've told you. Nobody talks about that day. It's like this unspoken pact. It's one of those bad memories we all don't like to relive. Don't you think I kind of should know, though? Like, if I were to ask Caraway out, don't you think this super important, impactful event is the kind of thing I should know about? Then why don't you go ask her about it? Jackson let Lou say hefty exhale. <sighs> I did. She doesn't want to talk about it either. She never says anything, just that she made a mistake and it's all behind her. Yeah, so there you go, drop it. I'm not gonna tell you if she doesn't want you to know, it's not my story to tell. Come on, Charlie, you're my best friend. Can't you tell me something, anything? I know you were involved. Can't you just say your side of the story? Jackson, sometimes when we skirmish, you do this thing where you don't move at all, and it's like one second intervals, so nobody would ever notice except for me, but I've started to detect a pattern around it. Every time you do it, every time I catch you stalling out on me for just a second, you do something stupid immediately afterward. It usually precedes me saying bang, but when you don't pause, when you just move fluidly and adjust on the fly, you fight well. Almost as good as me, and if you could just cut out this hitch in your mechanics, you'd be ten times more consistent. Okay. He grumbled, cocking an eyebrow. Why are you telling me this? Because you think too much. Eventually you're gonna die because of it, but for now it's just preventing you from being happy. Stop thinking. Trust me as a girl when I tell you she is ready to rumble. Oh yeah, I forgot you were a girl. He smirked, but I ignored him. When she wants to tell you the story of her being the bravest person I've ever met, me depriving her of her one shot at salvation, and then her thinking she owes me a cake for it, She'll tell you. The when part is something she needs to decide. As for you, you need to stop pausing on you and Caraway or you'll do something stupid. Flow on adapts, you'll be better off for it. He blushed, grinning sheepishly to the ground. I do tend to find bad excuses not to do things. I guess you're probably right. Yeah, I know, I'm always right. I shoved him affectionately and he laughed while rubbing his shoulder like a wuss. It did not hurt. By random chance out of the corner of my eye, I noticed Big Purple watching us intently, and made brief, unsteady eye contact with him. For one instant, and I could not really tell you why, he wasn't completely terrifying. Longingly watching Jackson and me interact, just the faintest hint of sadness in his eerie yellow eyes. Once he noticed me noticing him, he averted his gaze, re-establishing the furious wrinkle in his brow, demonic and ugly as ever. I dismissed it all entirely, turning back to Jackson. Look. I can tell she makes you happy, and I want you to be happy. If it's not meant to be and you decided to chicken out, I won't judge you for it. And if you need advice, well, we live in the same building. I'm a floor above you. Doors always open to chat. All I want is what's best for you, partner. It was still kind of tough for me to be that overwhelmingly nice, but he brought it out of me somehow. Sometimes that was the only thing that got through to him. Maybe I was a little too uncomfortable to make it seem authentic, even though I was being perfectly genuine because he didn't respond to any of my uplifting message, just stood there with his hands in his pockets, his forehead all furrowed and his mouth scrunched up to the side of his face. 
I tried to figure out what it was that got him so worked up, but for the life of me, I thought everything I'd said seemed pretty encouraging. Hey, JT, that hesitation thing? You're, you're kind of doing it now. Sorry. He shook his head, faked a smile. Um, I was just thinking about something else, I guess. Hey, Charlie, when I first met Howie, he told me he had a way of controlling my abilities to keep me in check, kind of like you and your brain. Uh, sure. Don't know where this is coming from, but... Do you know what it is? How he can control me? I shook my head. He won't tell anyone that. He says it won't work if we know about it. So then, what if he's bluffing? It's Howie, right? He, he lies all the time. Mmm, yeah, that's true, but not here. Why not? Because it's a threat, JT. Howie wouldn't bluff about a threat. He wouldn't try to contain someone as powerful as you here on a bluff like that, just on the off chance you called him on it. Too risky. I'm sure he actually has something on you. But I, I couldn't call him on it when I first heard it because I was still too weak. You could have just equalized me if I said no. Also true, I still could. So what if that's it? What if the only thing keeping me from bolting from this place is the knowledge that you could kill me? Uh, that That's not it. Why not? Because you're my favorite. I wouldn't equalize you even if Howie told me to. I'd tell him to fuck off, do his worst to me. Howie knows that. But then, okay, that's what I was afraid of. Because now, if I betrayed him and you refused to equalize me for it, he'd just turn off your brain transmitter and then you'd be trapped forever. And I wouldn't let him do that to you because you're my favorite. I smirked. He was all riled up in a tizzy, didn't even pause his tirade to notice it. But it had been a very long time since I gave a shit about anyone, and I guess I felt lucky that the first person I tried it with gave a shit right back. So maybe I'm contained here by the knowledge that if I try something, he'll ask you to equalize me, you'll say no, and then you'll pay the price for it. Right. Hey, JT, remember what I said about thinking too much literally one minute ago? You're not even considering it at all! What if you went to Naka? How would you feeling bad for me prevent you from ending the world if you went to Naka? Well, if, if I went to Naka, you would equalize me then, right? I hesitated, but he kept going anyway. Charlie, listen, if he's bluffing, I can- Look, he's not, okay? I, I've thought about this kind of thing a hundred times before. If he didn't have a way to hold you, he just would have gotten Dr. K to take your brain out first thing so he could shut you down like me. How on earth do you arrive at that conclusion? I, I wouldn't let him do it. I'd just fly away. Except you wouldn't, because then I'd just equalize you. I... Uh, wait. Huh? <sighs> Play out the scenarios, alright? Assume Howie doesn't have a way to contain you. Why bluff? Why not just tell you he's gonna put your brain in a jar? Refuse, and I kill you before I got to know you. Say yes, and boom, he's got you now too. The point is, when he met you, you were already contained, temporarily at least, by my ability and willingness to equalize you, so he should have secured a backup on the chance that that method failed, like if I started to like you, or you got stronger. And he didn't, which means he already had a backup. Or hell, maybe I was just the backup all along and this method's much, much better. Howie's pretty averse to risk, JT. He wouldn't wager on me keeping you if he could lock it down for sure, trust me. There's something deeper at work here than just you and I being friends. He looked dejected and broken, like I knocked his ice cream cone out of his hands. I felt a little shitty for it, but ultimately it was for the best. Cultivating hope like that in the face of Prophet's plan, it was a recipe for bad things, and I'd seen it firsthand. Better I destroy his optimism here than let him test the theory against Howie himself. It was like pulling off a bandage or yanking a tooth. It was like equalizing someone. Do it quickly. Turn the page.
He's got a contingency plan, Jackson. Howie always has a contingency plan. That's like a saying around here. He always leaves himself a way out. Don't believe a damn word he says, but count on the fact that he never even enters a situation in which he loses. So, is that how he did it to you? Before you were strong enough to fight back, how he said he'd equalize you unless you gave him his leverage? Did he? I wanted Brain and Jar. I was young and stupid. How he convinced me it'd make me more powerful. It wasn't like it was a hard sell, either. He was completely right. I couldn't group if my brain was in my head. I luckily had the foresight to make one stipulation, closed ecological system, with little bacteria and algae and shit replenishing the oxygen and nutrients for the neurotransmitters or whatever. That way nobody could manipulate my thinking and I'd die when my body died. I thought that was foolproof, a sweet as hell gig. But I didn't even piece together that he had me trapped until like a year after I was already brainless. His spark came back, momentarily finding one last narrow tunnel down which his dying dreams of freedom could limp. I was ready to extinguish it anyway. Okay, but... But what if I would have just said no? I could have refused the brain surgery and then let you kill me just to avoid having to join Beam at all. Yeah, sure, you could have done that. Refused to join and let me kill you. Let Howie find someone else to take your place. And you didn't, but it's irrelevant either way at this point. Hell, you could do that right now. Tell Howie you're done with it and... I drifted off, forcing some old memories I didn't like to drag up back down where they belonged. And we blinked at each other for a moment. JT, do not do that right now. I won't, I won't. Because I swear to fucking God, if you do, Charlie, I'm going- come on. I, I said I won't. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beam Chronicles, a fiction podcast written and produced by me, MJ Dooney. I'm really having so much fun sharing this story I've been working on for 15 years, and that's why I'm doing it. That said, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave me a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing this and also follow algorithms and all that. Also, if you like what you hear or want to get updates, you can follow me on Twitter at Beam Chronicles or TikTok, same handle. I've also been posting episodes to YouTube. If you want to like, follow, subscribe there. I still have no idea what to do with Instagram, but follow me there too, I guess. If you want to give me some encouragement or ask me a question directly, you can contact me through email, beamchronicles at gmail.com. All music and sound effects were sourced through the Epidemic Sound Library. Special thanks to Sergio Duarte for creating the cover art for this podcast. You can find him on Instagram. I've actually been sticking to a weekly schedule pretty well, but I might cut back to monthly pretty soon. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>